Hey y'all, it's Wednesday and we have a great show for you. Daisy Ridley from Star Wars is here. Ah, love her. Queen, Jedi, legend, yes. lightsaber magic, all these things. Restoring the balance with the force or whatever it is. Feminism you know? force. There you go. Feminist force. <laughs> um, if you had a lightsaber, what color would it be? Red. That's the color of all the bad guys' lightsabers, I think. Mm -hmm. I said red. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, you stay there and we'll see you on the timeline. But first, we're going to practice our lightsaber maneuvers. Are you ready? Ow, that actually hurt. <laughs> I would. Zoom, zoom, zoom is not the noise it makes. I think June. so. Okay, so this is making today Twitter. Good morning. I'm Zach Savard. She's Alex Berg. We are Jedi's, and you are watching AM to DM. Don't mind us out here. Just We're getting just excited for Daisy Ridley. I, yeah. My young, geeky, gay self just really loves that. <laughs> and lightsaber's red. I'm always the villain. It's I mean, wonderful. I think mine would be like hot pink or something. I love that. I don't know. For I you. don't know. How are you? What's I'm going great. on? I'm great. You know, it's Wednesday. We're pushing through Pride. It's yeah. going to be a great time. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm admittedly not as busy as you are today because oh, you have some plans and work that you have to do today. I do. And my plans tonight aren't even that gay because it's my first day. Because <laughs> Wednesday is the first night of the debate. Indeed, mm, mm, it mm, mm. is. And there's going to be a lot of people yeah. on stage. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. So we're really excited about the debates kicking off because it's now the official time of election season. Yeah, election season is on. Election it's on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So great. But I think we have a tweet um, to set us up about yeah. Miss Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, uh, German Lopez tweeted this. It'll be wild at the debate when Elizabeth Warren unveils a plan for literally every American. Give me your name, she'll say, as she explains how the rest of your life will play out. I can see Elizabeth Warren really looking out in the crowd and being like, Lil Tommy, you will be out of <laughs> debt in 10 years if you sign up for this thing with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can also imagine her doing this. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, really, people have to spar just to get their time yes. um, on the stage. Yeah, because there's um, so many yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Can you name? The, okay, let's play again. Name at least three people who are appearing tonight that have been on this show. Um, okay, so Inslee. Yes. Tonight. Let me track um, that. Inslee, yes. I think that Delaney. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think that my Andrew, yeah, no. No. Okay, all right. Mm, yeah, not Andrew, all right, yeah. all right. So we have, who who? you know, out of everyone coming tonight, it's Beto, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Jay Inslee, John Delaney, Tim Ryan, Bill de Blasio, and Tulsi Gabbard. Huh? Yeah, so Warren is the most famous person this week on mm -hmm. debates today. So she has not broken into a really top contender spot. She's double digits in the polling, um, while all the rest of these folks are not. So she is the one that we're going to be watching, and it's interesting that her and Sanders aren't going head-to-head -head because their policies are being put in conversation yes. so much. So they get to have their own stages to talk about their own futures yes. by themselves. Well, listen, we got two nights to get through these yes. debates, and uh, I got to say, uh, you know, Maybe there'll be some uh, exciting moments. Maybe mm -hmm. there'll be some less exciting mm -hmm. moments. We all have our strategies to get through, which got me thinking about drinking games. Yes, 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 yes. With drinking, we all like to get drunk. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a? Are you are you thinking yes, about this? Yes, I'm thinking about a drinking game. I want to take a shot every time Elizabeth Warren says, "Well, I'm my policy." <laughs> You're going to be very drunk, yeah. and uh, mine is definitely going to be waiting for the lesser-known candidates like uh, Gabbard to get mm -hmm. a, a word in edgewise. Oh, and so you're going to be sober. Drink the full drink. No, when she, you know, when when they get to say something, drink the full drink. But I want to know what other people are thinking. Yeah. So let's take it to the timeline. What drinking game will you be playing while watching the debates? Let us know using the hashtag 
am to five bottles of rosé. Mm, yeah. five bottles of rosé. <laughs> well, let's go live from the district with BuzzFeed News DC Bureau Chief Kate Nacero. Good morning, Kate. Morning, how are you? Oh, you know, we're good. We're surviving this news cycle. Um, <laughs> lovely Wednesday. Yes, lovely yeah. Wednesday. Um, well, let's get into it. Here's a tweet from House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler. I am pleased to announce that House Judiciary and House Intel will have Special Counsel Robert Mueller testify in open session on July 17th. We look forward to having Mr. Mueller testify, as do all Americans. So Mueller said in a press conference that he wouldn't have anything to add to his report. Um, so what is Nadler and the committee hoping to learn from this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that they're actually hoping to learn anything new. Mueller is kind of a man of his word. There, ha- there weren't really leaks during the investigation. Uh, he, I think he means what he says and says what he means, that he will not be divulging any new information. The point, I think, for Democrats is that when Mueller testifies in public, it's going to be wall-to-wall coverage on all the networks, uh, in TV, you know, in the newspapers, online— Uh, everyone's going to be covering it really, really closely. And that's going to put more focus on attention on what is actually in the report, which is actually quite devastating for the president. Uh, If you read the report, you know, Mueller has reiterated the report doesn't clear him. It just wasn't enough to charge him with the crime. And I think that the strategy uh, for the Democrats, I mean, I'm not in the meetings, I don't know, but it would seem that uh, they would benefit greatly from having Mueller be on TV, essentially. And during his appearance, what will the format be when he testifies? Yeah, so I believe it's going to be a combination of uh, the House Intel Committee and um, the House Judiciary Committee questioning him. Uh, You know, it's just going to, I think he'll testify and then it'll be just partisans um, asking him questions. So I, I expect, you know, the normal level of like people yelling and him probably remaining quite calm in the face of all of it. Hmm. Oh, uh, I mean, it does seem like that uh, That could certainly happen. Um, how did Trump or yeah. Trump allies respond uh, to this news? I mean, I, 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 Trump, Trump this morning was on uh, Fox Business and he said something about Mueller deleting text messages from the FBI. I don't even know. He's clearly affected by it, right? Like tweeting like presidential harassment. Uh, it's the same stuff over and over again, Alex. I don't really want to like repeat all of it because uh, it's been said a hundred times. Yeah, I but hear you. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, like he's not taking it well, I don't think, mm-hmm. would be I my... See interpretation. I see. Not yeah. taking it well. Well, what should viewers be looking out for when Mueller testifies? Yeah, I mean, I think that he is just going to go over uh, what he reported in the obstruction part of the Mueller report. I don't think a lot of people have read it, right? Like, so they've read the top lines or have read newspaper articles, but not a lot of people have read the actual report. So um, it will be an opportunity for him to sort of go over what was in it. And I think it'll be surprising to a lot of people if they haven't been paying really, really, really close attention uh, to what was actually in there. If they've only been paying attention to like what Trump has said or what Democrats have said, it's a pretty nuanced argument that Mueller has. Um, So I, you know, I would, I would, I would imagine that's what we're going to hear from him Mm -hmm. when he does finally testify. You mentioned uh, just the significance of getting Mueller uh, on TV. Is is this a win for Democrats? Yeah. 
Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, I think that everyone sort of agreed that, um, you know, having a... Mueller didn't want to testify, right? He said that this is all I'm going to say. This is like the extent of my public comments on the matter when he gave that press conference a while ago and had written a very long report. Uh, he doesn't feel like he needs to uh, be trotted out. But Democrats do really feel like he needs to testify that like they've spent so much time talking about this. It's a win in that they don't have to have a long, drawn-out subpoena fight, uh, which I don't think Mueller really was eager to do, and I don't think Democrats were eager to put him through. So sort of came to this mutual agreement that he would be able to uh, he'd be able to come in and, and testify on a date that they agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Well, eight. so in that sense, it's a win, and it's also a win for them to you know have the have the testimony in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a mutual agreement. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Thanks, guys. Here's a tweet from the Boston Globe. Employees of the Boston-based online housewares giant Wayfair say that they will stage a walkout at the company's Back Bay offices Wednesday to protest the company's decision to sell furniture to operators of facilities for detained migrant children. And AJ Plus tweeted, Wayfair employees said they demanded the company cancel a $200,000-plus deal selling furniture to an immigrant detention center, citing atrocities at the southern border. The company said it's just doing business. Mm. Joining us today to walk us through the story is the Daily Beast national reporter, Scott Bixby. Hello, Scott. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. So how did employees first discover this particular order of $200,000? So the way that the story initially came about is that employees uh, asked a couple of months ago during an all-hands meeting with an executive at Wayfair what the company's uh, ethical rules were. Basically, they were curious about the kind of businesses that Wayfair was willing to do business with and whether there were any limitations to that. And when people started raising questions about if they were in contact with any places that might be ethically dubious, they came across a relationship with uh, BCFS, which is an ICE contractor for the sale of $200,000 roughly worth of bedroom supplies, in this case, mostly beds. Um, and those beds are destined for, it seems, a immigration uh, immigrant detention facility in Cerrito Springs, Texas, uh, which is supposed to hold roughly 3,000 migrant children. And obviously, That rubbed a lot of uh, people who work at Wayfair the wrong way. Uh, In the end, earlier this week, 547 employees signed a letter asking the CEO to cease doing business with contractors who are working in the detention space, the private prison space, and also to set forward a more concrete business code of ethics to make sure that this kind of business wouldn't happen again. Uh, Wafer's response was respectful, but declined to uh, meet either of these demands. And so yesterday afternoon, an account called Wayfair Walkout announced that as of 1.30 this afternoon, they're asking employees to leave their desks and walk into Copley Square in Boston as a demonstration to show that they don't believe that this is the kind of business that Wayfair should be doing. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you mentioned the company kind of uh, doubled down on their point of view. Um, what has the response been outside of the company to this news? Well, this is not a totally uh, new phenomenon that has happened. There are other companies that have done work with ICE and ICE contractors, uh, places like Amazon or Palantir or Salesforce, that have faced some resistance from within their companies, from employees who feel like the mission of the company to do no evil uh, has sort of been compromised in an attempt to make money off of the detention crisis on the southern border. 
Um, but this is the first major walkout that we've seen or major demonstration for any companies, uh, employees saying that this is no longer something that they're going to be accepting. Mm. Uh, one new demand in it, uh, that came out in addition to the, um, request that they form a code of ethics and they no longer do business in the detention space is that the company donate the $86,000 in profits off of that deal to Raices, which is a legal assistance uh, organization based out of Texas that helps migrants. Mm. So you mentioned this is the first time we've seen a walkout of a company, but how has this uh, event impacted business for Wayfair already? There are already uh, organizations and individuals that have announced that they're going to be uh, forming a boycott, which is essentially no longer doing business with Wayfair while the company is doing business with ICE, which means that in addition to uh, losing the productivity of about potentially up to 1,000 workers in Boston today, they're also losing business from non-ICE related organizations that would normally be buying furniture from them. So they're kind of getting squeezed both from the people within the company and from other customers who don't feel like this is a company they want to be associated with. So employees are walking out today. Uh, is there any sense of how they might actually escalate their actions if uh, there is no result or impact, you know, if Wayfair doesn't uh, cease orders with BCFS? I think it's sort of a wait and see pattern um, until this afternoon. Wayfair management has been completely silent on the issue, uh, aside from a few uh, responses to customers who are frustrated with late orders. The Wayfair Twitter account has not addressed any of this and requests to Wayfair management have gone completely silent. Mm. And Scott, today's the 2020 Democratic debates. Uh, have right. any of the politicians spoken out about this situation? Uh, not to my knowledge, although uh, obviously the entire, almost the entire Democratic field is pretty much uni united on the idea that the current detention situation uh, on the southern border is unacceptable uh, and that there's been way too much turnover at DHS uh, to create any kind of stability uh, for the people who are in government detention. So it seems likely, uh, particularly with people like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Bill de Blasio, people who have made um, outreaches to organized labor and who have encouraged similar actions from other organizations, uh, who are probably going to be coming out in support of this action. Mm. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really helpful to have you walk us through that. Thanks for having me. Of course. We reached out to Wayfair for comment and have not heard back yet. But up next, we have your fire tweet, so stay tuned. Fire! Fire! Welcome back. It is time for fire tweets. Should we Ooh. say special Jedi? Special fire Jedi fire tweets. Any, any opportunity red. to take out our, our red, fake lightsabers? I'm just going to keep doing this for the I entire show. I'm going to hold these. Look at this. This is my Jedi. <laughs> I have power. Fire. Fire. Fire, fire, fire. All right, I'm gonna do this. Great. Sanir, you tweeted, is it just my mom or do y'all's parents not feed y'all no more neither? <laughs> I know, I'm like, come on, help me out here, mom. I think it's like a less of a trend for your parents to be like, you gotta eat all the time, here's all this food. I, I love I love my mother, but when I go home, it's not like we're feasting all the time. We go out to eat a lot, but it's yeah. not like I'm being fed constantly by my parents, but my grandmother, that's a different story. Yeah, I'm like, I, I get it. I'm a full-grown adult. Like, yeah. I have to take care of sure. myself. Okay, I gotta pay for Fine. this. Mm. Fine. Oh, hmm. Well, Wendy, you tweet it. I just be flirting to test my power. I don't like y'all for real. <laughs> I, same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you do this? Yes, I, I, I do do this on accident. I've been told that I'm quite flirtatious. And I also live in a world in which I think no one likes me and I'm going to be single forever. So I don't know how to consolidate these two truths. Um, we will work through these issues a little bit later on after the show. We can with, debrief. With my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha, you tweeted. Reminder that writers and artists only create for two reasons. 
horniness, and revenge. Mm-hmm. The sooner you discover which one motivates you, the quicker you'll grow into your most powerful form. Oh my God. Horniness. I mean, revenge, yeah. Re- revenge is a good one. Yeah. Horniness is fleeting. Revenge can last a lifetime. Uh, indeed. Unlike Make some sex. great art because of that revenge. He's <laughs> <laughs> Atlanta, you tweeted. Apple and Netflix don't check to see if you still got a job or nothing. Shaking my head. <laughs> they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn. As long as you pay that fee every month, they're like, watch as much as you'd like. I don't care if you're fired from your job because you too are obsessed with shows like Stranger Things. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, they actually, like, impede your productivity yeah. even more. They impede you from, like, doing your yeah. job because you're like, I just want to stream all these shows. I'm like, oh, there's this new season of everything. I need to watch everything. Sorry, work. They just want their money. Mm. All right, tweet of the day. Let's do it. Tweet of the day comes from Darsheen. Going to kids' fake restaurants is a risk. They're mad mean, and meals never make sense. They'll serve you a hot dog, cupcake, and tomato, and be so serious. They take it so seriously, but I get it. They want to have a Michelin-rated restaurant one day. A, a, a Michelin-rated uh, imaginary, imaginary restaurant. Where hot dogs and, what was it, a tomato is a meal? That's just, a they, meal. They're just like getting to decide, you know, these kids. My favorite thing with the fake kid restaurants is you have a tea party. Like, my niece loves tea parties, but there's no tea. Not like liquid tea or gossip tea. Like, you know, I can't really <laughs> gossip with each other because she's all of like seven, and that would be inappropriate. So, you know, I just try to pass out, pass well, you know, those uh, kid restaurants. Ki- kids can be like so hard and cruel mm-hmm. and honest sometimes, you know? So let's take it to the timeline. Tell us about a time when kids were unnecessarily cruel to you. Let us know using the hashtag am to dm I just gotta say, I was a nanny for some time. I was time. gonna bring that up. Yeah, and uh, those kids, I think one time they told me that like the clothing I was wearing was like not appropriate for them. <gasps> and I was like, I am literally running after you, schlepping you places. And you want me, like, what do you want me to wear? Children. Like a suit? I don't even know. Children. High maintenance bosses. High there maintenance we go. bosses. Love, yeah. love this. <laughs> You're going to be great. Well, coming up, Hayes Brown is sitting down with actor Daisy Ridley. But up next, we are talking about two factor authentication and how it is not always helpful. Lisa Kaplan tweeted this Thread. Today I went to the public library for the first time in a long time. A woman came up to me and asked me to help her with the computer so she could apply for a custodial job. She'd gone to the organization she wanted to work at and was told to apply online. Mm. She went on, I tried to help her set up an email account with most of the major email providers, all of whom required a phone number to text a link to an account. The the only phone number she had was the phone number for the shelter she stays at, which is a landline. Mm. And she continued, so this woman who is seeking employment is precluded from even applying because she doesn't have a cell phone, so can't access email, and thus cannot apply. Lisa Kaplan, the author of this thread that got over 25,000 retweets, joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, I want to jump right in. What did you realize about the internet when you had this exchange at the library? Absolutely. So I think this was a really eye-opening experience for me because a lot of times we talk about these issues like technology and security, accessibility, privacy. But what we're really trying to do is find a balance and find this nuance. I'm the founder of a group, the Aletheia Group, that is, de- that is designed to help detect and mitigate disinformation. And so we often approach these technological issues from a security perspective. And this showed me, at least, that 
what we're really trying to do is find a balance. And we need to start taking more holistic approaches to being able to solve some of these challenges so that we're not building a system that prevents anyone from being able to access the institutions that we're trying to protect. Mm. And speaking more broadly, how does two-factor authentication block people from certain parts of the internet? Well, in this instance, it precluded a woman from being able to create an email account. And thanks to Twitter, I now know of several different email providers that don't always require two-factor authentication. And I think that it's still important to verify end users. And two-factor does provide a lot of benefits, like enhanced security for your accounts to prevent hackers from being able to get in. But I think that the larger issue is we need to be able to find a way that that still allows others to be able to access systems in order to be able to participate fully in the economy. What made you want to tweet out this experience? What's that? What made you want to tweet about this experience that you had? You know, it's one of those things where it happened in the morning and it just sits with you all day. And so I decided to put it online and just raise awareness about this issue to others who may be also trying to work to find ways to protect democratic and economic institutions and give them the food for thought that perhaps there's a better way. Mm. And were you surprised by the reaction on Twitter to you sharing the story? Definitely. I was really amazed by the number of people who reached out offering to provide support, to send cell phones, to offer jobs, that sort of thing. And I encourage those folks to reach out to the organizations in their local communities where there are people whose job it is and to help women like um, this woman who I worked with and be able to get them access to the resources that they need. I also heard from a lot of UX designers who said, you know, this is something that we struggle with, trying to figure out how do we make our systems accessible to everyone. But it was a really phenomenal outpour from people who really just wanted to be able to help and raise awareness about stories like this. Because unfortunately, this is probably not the only person who's facing this challenge. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned uh, towards the end of this thread was that perhaps libraries could also do something um, to lend a hand. Um, Do you have any other ideas of what tech companies uh, could be doing? Um, So I think that there are all different ways that tech companies could be helping, whether it's showing support for institutions like libraries to be able to create, and this is just a suggestion, but um, a portal or some way that individuals can still be verified uh, by using trusted individuals like librarians who may be able to enter in a code on their behalf. Um, But there are... I'm sure many solutions to problems like these. It's just a question again of finding that balance between technology, accessibility, security, and privacy. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. And let's take it to the timeline. How do you think internet and technology could be more inclusive and accessible? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. Mm, I think for me, really quickly to jump in, is that I think tech companies need to assume that everyone has technology. Not everyone has equal access to it. And you got to design with that in mind. Not that everyone has an iPhone, that everyone has an email, or everyone even has a phone. So just taking away those assumptions will help tech. Yeah, absolutely. Well, up next, Stephanie is talking to Supergroup CEO Holly Thaggard. Stay tuned. Here's a tweet from Will Richards. Love those 15 minutes of bliss in the nice weather before sunburn anxiety comes in. I got you, Will. This is Ladies Who Wait Lead, and I am joined by Supergroup founder and CEO Holly Thaggard, whose mission is to lessen that sunburn anxiety that we all have, or maybe tell everyone, hey, you need to be a little more 
careful about being in the sun, right? That's right, 365 <laughs> days a year. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that I feel like I only focus on after I get a bad sunburn. Um, and you actually started your company after a friend of yours was diagnosed with skin cancer. So how did you go from having that experience to turning this into this enormous company that's so successful? Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. Um, you know, I've been inspired to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen. and what it was a very sleepy category. I felt ripe for innovation and building products that um, you could incorporate into your regimen every single day. Um, and, you know, I've been at this for, gosh, 14-ish years now. And uh, I think, you know, at the time, um, like I said, the category was so sleepy, there weren't products that were um, luxurious and fun to apply. So I think, um, you know, just one foot in front of the other for, for me. I think that's so true, the difference between you know, putting on sunscreen when you're going, you know you're going to be outside, when you're at the beach, when you're doing a sporting event, versus really making it something that's part of your everyday routine. Do you think that's a yeah. misconception people have about Definitely. sun protection? You know, I mean, um, skin cancer, it's one in five people will be diagnosed. That's, you know, 16 times bigger than breast cancer. And yet it's one of those cancers that's actually primarily preventable. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's something that you have to think about every single day. And it's um, UVA rays are present all four seasons. They don't know the difference in uh, a cloudy or a rainy or a sunny day. And they're damaging and ultimately what causes skin cancer. And, and of course, if that's not scary enough, you know, 90% of the signs of aging come from the sun. And that's um, damage that happens all seasons. So, you know, really um, thinking about the category of sun care from a from, from a perspective of, um, you know, something that should be incorporated into your regimen every single day is really the foundation of what our brand is about and, and delivering that in innovative ways. And, you know, I mean, a makeup setting mist or a beautiful oil or, um, you know, ways in which you can apply and reapply um, is, is really the key to, you know, I think what, what is needed for stopping the epidemic of skin cancer. I think a lot of the statistics around skin cancer are so scary, but one of the things that is hopeful about it is it is so preventable. And just by being aware and taking care of yourself and using products every day that can help you with SPF, you can really lessen your chances. So you were a teacher, you were a harp player for a long time. I'm sure you still are. <laughs> um, how did you go from having those experiences to having this idea, realizing there was a gap in the market and then actually creating a company? You know, um, my parents are entrepreneurs, and so I kind of grew up looking for the white space. Um, obviously, I was a harpist, not a pianist. The world has plenty of pianists. And uh, I think, you know, when you're, when you're taught from a very early age to sort of look at what isn't out there and what be a, you know, very, we're a very solution-oriented brand. And I think um, when I looked at the category when my friend was diagnosed with skin cancer, um, you know, it, it seemed like innovation was needed. And um, at the time, SPF was only about, you know, lotion, spray, gel, SPF 15, 30, 50. The innovation was really just about the SPF number. And so, you know, knowing that, um, you know, the world doesn't need more of the same, I just, you know, sort of put one foot in front of the other and, and tried to create product that didn't exist, game-changing SPF, so that I gave the world, and that's 
you know, when you think about the world and you're trying to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen, you have to think about it from an inclusive um, perspective of every skin color and type and tone and even activity that everybody, you know, partakes in because there's not really one right SPF. And so, you know, coming from the world of teaching, which is when I initially looked back at my time in the classroom and I realized that sunscreen wasn't a part of this healthy every single day routine we were teaching our youth, um, kind of wearing the entrepreneurial hat, I was thinking more along the lines of like, gosh, what's out there and what, how can we teach about this important habit every single day? Um, similar to how we teach children to buckle their seatbelt or wash their hands before lunch. And, uh, and that's really my hope for Supergoop going forward is that SPF wearing is going to become a part of everyone's routine, um, just like you know, they wash their hands and, or wear a helmet on the mountain when they're skiing. Um, these, you know, protective measures that we, we all take naturally now, um, the world isn't quite there wearing sunscreen every single day. But hopefully our products um, provide a, you know, a luxurious experience so it's easy to incorporate into your routine. I want to, you talked about inclusivity and dealing with all different types of skin colors and types. And I want to read this tweet from Alexis Ned, who said, does anyone know of a good facial SPF that black people can use? It's become imperative that I start wearing sunscreen on my face and everything I've tried makes me look like Thanos. And she followed up later and mentioned that actually your product was one that she got recommended a lot for a black woman to put on their skin where it's not gonna leave this like crazy residue all over her skin. Yeah. Is that something that you thought of a lot when you were starting your company, how we can make this an inclusive experience? Yeah, absolutely, because what's right for your skin may not be right for mine. And so you can't say that there's any one formula that's right for the whole world. And when you're trying to change the way the whole world thinks about sunscreen, you have to be mindful of different skin colors and types and tones. And she was probably talking about unseen sunscreen, which is a game-changing, invisible, weightless, textureless um truly makeup gripping, game-changing SPF that, you know, and often people with darker skin colors have a problem with putting SPF on and it makes their skin ashy or hate, you know, it gives a, a purplish look. And, you know, so you really have to think about how you're going to create um, innovation in the product category that can um, be a, a solution for people um, of color and um, and, uh, and people with sensitive skin or maybe people that have had skin cancer because our needs and wants are all, all very different. So there's something in our line um, we think and we continue to innovate on that gives everybody something, um, an easy way to incorporate SPF into their regimen every single day. So. Holly, thank you so much for joining me and talking about this very important issue. Up next, Hayes is sitting down with Star Wars star Daisy Ridley. Welcome back. I'm sitting down with actor Daisy Ridley, who you might recognize from an indie film series called Star Wars, and she's now starring in the new film, Ophelia. Good morning, Daisy. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. I know you just flew in from London. I'm yes. really glad that you took the time to sit down and be with us. Very happy to be here. So for people who have not thought about Hamlet since you know their English yep. lit class, yep. what makes this version of the story so different? Uh, it's different because it concentrates more on Ophelia. Uh, Hamlet is there. He's just so you, there. <laughs> I mean, he's still having his moments. He's mm -hmm. still tortured and, you know, figuring it all out. But it's, uh, 
yeah, it's a fresh new new take on things. So everything exists as is in the play. Mm-hmm. You just get to see more what's going on with Ophelia when within the play of Hamlet, she sort of disappears off. Right, and I'm really glad that we're actually doing this. Um, yeah. So there's not very much that Shakespeare actually wrote about Ophelia. No. So what did you prepare to play this version where she's so much more active, has so much more agency? How did you prep for that? I would love to tell you that I did loads of stuff. <laughs> You just kind of winged it. I just turned up <laughs> and I learned my lines. Yeah. I thought about it a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought, if I were Ophelia, mm-hmm. what would I do? Hmm. And then I just turned up <laughs> and did it. I felt awful. I'm like, you know, everyone comes in, they're like... They're like serious, they're method acting. One I, person tried to nearly drown themselves exactly. in prep. No, I take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're on... A scale of Kenneth Branagh's mm. Hamlet and The Lion King. Do you oh. feel this version of Hamlet ranks? Do you know, I rewatched The Lion King last year. It's dark. Isn't it? Like, it's really dark. Yes, it is. Um, I would say it feels, even though it's tragic, it does feel a touch lighter. Oh, okay. Than, than that. The Branagh version yeah. or The Lion King. I've never seen the Ken. Shh, we won't tell him. It's fine. Kenneth Branagh, if you're watching this, she loved the film. Ken, I loved working with you. So <laughs> I love your work. Yeah, I, is it, was that the one with Robert De Niro in it? Was it? It's been a minute since I've seen it too, yeah. I gotta confess. Yeah. So are there any similarities in your mind before performing, between performing, you know, Shakespeare and this mm. big grand narrative and your work in the Star Wars franchise? Um... Not really. Pretty separate. I mean, I did say to JoJo on this last one, I was like, give me a monologue. Yeah. Um, in that respect, I had a monologue in Ophelia, which was mm. very exciting, very nerve-wracking. But otherwise, no, I think it's, you know, it's different. Firstly, it's an invented story. It's not mm-hmm. real. Elsinore right. isn't real. Yeah. Um, but, you know, characters exist in a sphere that's been sort of mm-hmm. invented, as right. it were. So I don't really feel a difference when I'm doing it, but mm-hmm. I guess obviously looking at it, it's different. There's less people around. There's less crew. There's fewer no green screens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Ophelia is the first time you were actually working with a female director on yes. a feature film. Was that a different experience? <clears throat> what was that like? Um, I mean, the thing is, I'm so really, in the grand scheme of things, inexperienced. Mm-hmm. It was actually awesome that I was able to work with a female director so early on because mm-hmm. I think I'd only worked with... Ryan, JJ, and Ken by that point. Which is um, wild. It's easy to forget that you're still like relatively yeah, new at this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's exciting. And it's nice that I've been able to do that because, so, you know, some people who have had a long career have not been able to say that they've worked with a female director. Which is baffling in 2019 it to is. me personally. Uh, so you're, the last film in the current Star Wars trilogy, Rise of Skywalker, is, is done. But there's rumors that your character, Rey, may be in the next trilogy. Can you comment? Is that true? Are you thinking about it? I mean, I can say I'm not in the next trilogy, no. Mm. I think, because Ryan always said, if it's the Ryan one, or it's the guys that did Game of Thrones, I'm not sure. Mm, There's rumors. Um, They're floating about the uh, nerd sphere. Whichever one it was, they always said it was going to be a separate story. Okay. So I'm not, no. Uh, But would you want to come back to the universe? I mean, it's a great universe. I've had a great time. So you've been out there as the woman front and center in the series for the last couple of movies, and some of the fans have been critical. Mm. Do you have a strategy to put them in their place, or do you just try to ignore them? Well, critical of me being a lady. Critical of you being a lady I mean, in I their blessed Star that. Wars. You know, yeah. I am a lady. I will always be a lady. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly think now, with social media and stuff, 
weirdly people like it's great to have freedom of expression but i do feel like people think that opinions have so much weight yeah. i don't really think i don't think like bad vibes should have the sun shone on them mm. like i don't want to read your thing <laughs> which is fair and gets me to my next question so you followed the lead of uh rose from the other from i'm sorry from the last film for that force awakens You've deleted Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Would you ever reconsider coming back to social media or are you just cut off like a Skywalker limb? Cut off like a Skywalker limb. Never coming back. No. No. Just happy Also, I mean, like, when I want to see what my pals are up to, you just Google it and you can go to Instagram. That's true. You um, really can. No, I think it's Selena Gomez. I mean, she put it better than I did. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, it's dangerous. And also, it's great because a lot of people have a voice and especially in places where terrible things are happening and they're cutting off you know, yeah. information or whatever, it's great in that respect for mm-hmm. people who are in like serious dire situations to be able to be communicating. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think, um, no. no. No, don't miss it at all. No. Well, it's been great talking to you so far, but before you go, we'd like to play a game with you. Yes. So, I'm going to read off Oh no, I you. just had this and I was so yes. bad. We're going to read you the name of either a Star Wars character or a Shakespearean character. Okay. If you can guess correctly, five out of seven, then you win a prize. Just okay. when I ask you the question, flip it to show the camera either okay. the Bard or the Dark Lord. Okay. So, you ready for this? Yep. All right, first up, Lancelot Gobbo. <laughs> Correct, that is Shakespeare. All right, next up, Poggle the Lesser. Oh, oh sorry, that one was a Star Wars. Ever. Okay, next up, Salacious B. Crumb. Oh, Lord. Mm, that no! was Star Wars 2. It's a little weird thing in Return of the Jedi. Okay, young Kato. Oh, my God, I really do know Star Wars. Uh, yes. Young Kato? No, I'm sorry, sound effects guy. Young uh, Kato is Shakespeare. What? Sir. Oh, my God. I know. I'm jet lagged. I like it's Star okay. Wars it's and okay. I like Shakespeare. Okay, okay, okay. This one you, you might get. Armitage Hux. Yes! <laughs> Got it. Okay. Captain Banquo. Banquo. Yes. Hamlet. Ha- no, Macbeth. Macbeth. Oh, Ghost we're of. not doing it right now. Don't be mad, spirits. Okay, and last one, Fortinbras. Oh, he's uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. Yes, I do know that one. All right, so how did she do, friends? Terribly. I'm embarrassed. You did great, and of you know myself. what? We are going to give you the prize no matter what you get. This frame picture of Kylo Ren with Shakespeare's head to take with you. My God. Congratulations. I sort of feel like waiting outside stage door of Burn This and giving this to Adam tonight. As you should. Uh, we would be honored if you did. Wow, thank you so much for that. Thank you for joining us so thank much. You. Ophelia will be in theaters on Friday and on demand and digital on July 2nd. Up next, we're talking about student loan forgiveness. Stick around. StudentDebtCrisis.org tweeted, Student debt affects millions of Americans and is an issue shaping the 2020 presidential race. Natalia Abrams, executive director and co-founder of StudentDebtCrisis.org, joins me now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, I want to get right into this because uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Elizabeth Warren recently released their plans to address student uh, loan debt. And it seems like student loan debt forgiveness is getting more traction as a concept why now? So at Student Debt Crisis, we've been around since 
2012. And actually, before that, we began with the petition asking for Congress to forgive all student loan debt. So this is definitely an issue after our own heart. Um, we saw a lot of people talking about student loan debt in 2016, and it be- started to become a campaign issue. And now we are here. This is the fight we have been dreaming of since we started our organization. And we've hit crit- a crisis point. We're at $1.6 trillion of student loan debt, almost 46 million student loan borrowers. And finally, our lawmakers are waking up to the true crisis that we're under. Finally, our lawmakers are waking up to the crisis. And so let's talk more about Sanders and Warren's plans. What are the major differences between these plans? So I think some of the major differences are uh, cost. Uh, Sanders' plan is double Warren's plan. Um, One of the great differences is that Sanders' plan right now covers the cost of free public college, um, unlike Senator Warren's plan. But then we do know that Senator Warren's plan is far more detailed Um, And we're still excited and waiting for the details on Senator Sanders' plan. Uh, Both of them want to forgive all of the student, or most of the student loan debt. Senator Sanders would forgive all student loan debt. And Senator Warren's plan would forgive up to 95% of people um, would get some type of relief. And I believe 75% of people would get total loan forgiveness. And the reason Warren has that is that the top 5% of wealthiest people would be left out of Warren's plan. Mm. As someone with student loan debt, uh, I think sometimes the obvious reaction is like, well, I want the plan that would completely forgive all of my loan debt. But what kind of questions should those of us who have a lot of debt be asking about these kinds of policies? Okay, so well, first of all, we need to be asking everyone who's running in any capacity as a lawmaker what their student loan or student debt plan is. Um, And we want to know, you know, of course, how this is going to help us, but how is this going to help the overall economy? And that's what's great about both of their plans is, you know, we've heard a lot from folks that, you know, they paid their student loans or they paid for college in full. How is this going to help them? What about me type of attitude? But you know what? This will help everyone. This is going to increase the overall spending in our economy, overall GDP. It's going to help with unemployment issues. So we have to understand collectively that if we help others, especially when it comes to student loan debt, we are helping ourselves and helping the whole country. Yeah, I have to say, as someone who has been paying back my student loans for almost a decade now, I will never understand the instinct of, because I had to suffer paying back my student loans, you should have to suffer too. I just don't think anybody should have to suffer to get the kind of education that they want to get. Um, so I know, I mean, it's yeah. like, you find the cure for cancer, or is everyone who's had cancer going to complain that they didn't have the cure beforehand? I mean, we need to, we, we need to move on and have... Um, increased care in this country. You know, I, I, I'm getting a little bit perturbed too by it because it's only going to help us all out. And the more people can realize it, the more we're actually going to see this legislation pass. Yeah. Well, well. on that note, after student debt is, for, student debt is forgiven now, um, you know, if it is or whatever happens, um, what are the candidates' plans to control future student loan debt? So that's why we like Sanders' plan a lot, along with Warren's. You know, we're not choosing sides here. Like I said, this is a fight we welcome. Um, But we do like the fact that he's talking about both curing the student debt crisis and then stopping it from happening again, excuse me. So we really need to have two pronged approaches of how are we gonna control college costs or eliminate them and take care of what we call the first injured party of folks that have had loans and have been suffering forever. It is wonderful to see between 
Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, even Eric Swalwell, this conversation about student loan borrowers that we have not seen at this scale until the 2020 election. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of the conversation that's happening, this is something that I love talking about on Twitter because I feel like so many of us are, are coping with this. And in yeah. advance of this segment, I, I tweeted asking people what they would do if they didn't have student debt anymore. I, I want to read some of those responses. The Shane Lizard tweeted back, I'd actually be able to live my life. I'd be taken out of poverty. My parents wouldn't have to be poor and saddled with debt. My husband and I could afford to live on our own. Combined, we roughly have $700,000 in student loans as a family between my two degrees and my mom's three. And then Morgan Messing tweeted, actually be able to sleep at night, lol. But in all seriousness, I would love to build up a small business, but it's hard to invest in something like that when I'm paying more on student loans each month than I do on my 15-year mortgage. So can you give us a sense of, yeah, I mean, feel free to react to these and give us a sense of just how big this problem is. No, I mean, it's not all the time. Yeah, we did a um, project a few years back called uh, Without Student Debt, and we asked folks what they would do. And, you know, again, going back to taking care of the overall economy, the majority of responses we saw were, I want to save for retirement, I want to help my parents, I want to pay for health care, but no one's looking to go on some big trip or buy some fancy car. They just, they went to college and they want to have what they were sold as the American dream. If you work hard, you'll be rewarded. And in fact, they worked very hard and now they are not rewarded and they have $50,000, dollars $200,000 in debt. I mean, from one of those responses, I have Todd from Maryland that said, without the possibility of forgiveness, my quality of life is low and the world seems hopeless. And so, you know, these folks, whether it's Todd or Christine or, you know, our million person supporter list, they all want to see some sort of debt forgiven, if not all of it. You know, we really need to move to freeing these people from the shackles of the debt that they've been paying. Like you said, 10, 15, 20 years. Student loan debt was supposed to be 10 years or less. It was not supposed to be a mortgage. And now as you're one of the things that you just read, people are mortgages are easier to pay than student loan debt. Yeah, I think I still have like seven years or something to go and then then maybe I'll be done by then. Um, but bringing it back to uh, the debates, are you expecting more candidates to follow Sanders and Warren's lead and talk about the student loan debt crisis during tonight's debate and tomorrow's debate? Yeah, so we are already hearing uh, many candidates, uh, Kamala Harris, Eric Swalwell, as you mentioned, Warren and Sanders. I even heard John Hickenlooper talk about it in a town hall. I, you know, uh, you tweeted something else out earlier today of, you know, your favorite drinking games for the debates. And I think that <laughs> I student did, debt I did. Public affordability <laughs> is going to be talked about quite a bit between the next two nights. So, you know, we're going to be paying attention. We will be live tweeting during both debates. So you can follow us at Debt Crisis Org. Um, and we will be making sure to point out all, all of the instances and in when student debt or college affordability is mentioned. Mm. Well, this was a really enlightening conversation, one I am certainly passionate about. Natalia, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Alex. Have a great day. And up next, of course, we are reading some of your tweets. Welcome back. It's time for Addis. And I just got to say, like, what a fantastic show that Daisy Ridley sit down. It was lovely. Yeah. She was fantastic. And just like, she just got off a flight and she was still giving us energy, pizzazz. That was fun. Energy. She's so yeah. funny. I like her a lot. Yeah, really yes. enjoyable. Always going to be a fan. 
Yes. <laughs> well, Princess Leia had a suggestion for our drinking game during tonight's debate. What if we just do a shot every time someone tries to interrupt someone else and the moderators have to interject? Oh, I like that. We're going to be drunk. I feel like that's going to happen a lot. Yes, people are going to really drunk that. So if you want to get drunk, girl, go for that, it. That's a great game. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michelle tweeted this after our conversation about two-factor authentication with Lisa Kaplan. She says, Lisa, uh, as I know of, two of Code for America community fellowships working on re-entry after incarceration. Lisa started this very enlightening. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it like, really great. shows us the complications within just technological access points and yeah. how we're failing and not doing well in other I mean, parts. absolutely would love to continue having conversations about yeah, that. So, yeah. well, we wanted to know about a time when kids were unnecessarily cruel to you. Tina says, I'm 46 and waiting for that time to come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> Tina, we got you, girl. <laughs> kid, kids out here are like, you know, kids will tell you exactly yes. what is on their mind for better or for worse. Kids being cruel, an essential <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> well, Cindy Martinez shared with us her sunscreen tip. Sunscreen equals my summer Primer. Oh, yes, a base, girl. Just yeah. get that together. My, my forever, all year. I primer. have lots of melanin, so, so I'm not yeah. as obsessed yeah. with well, well, thank you to our guests, Kate Nassara, Stephanie McNeil, Hayes Brown, Scott Bixby, Lisa Kaplan, Holly Thaggard, Natalia Abrams, and Daisy Ridley. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day, Twitter. 